I wonder if you've uh, ever watched a stonemason at work. There we go, we have something. Um, watching them build a wall, either a dry stone wall so there's no mortar in it or one that has mortar in it. It's really interesting to watch them go to work. And it seems to me that the stonemason is a really keen observer of the stones that he's going to use in the wall. He notices how different each and every stone is. It's as if every stone has its own individual personality. He looks at the wall he is building. Can we advance that? Thanks, we're having trouble here. There we go. He looks at the wall that he's um, building, at the pile of stones, and then he chooses a stone out of this pile and he fits it into the wall. And sometimes the stone fits perfectly, and you can see this wry smile on the face of the stonemason as this happened. But usually, though, the stonemason needs to pick up his tools and chip away an imperfection that he doesn't want to see, be seen on the wall. And sometimes he has to patiently shape the stone, knock off a sharp edge or square it up a little bit to fit in to the wall. Uh, alongside all the others. It's quite an awe-inspiring process to see a stonemason at work. And I want us to keep this picture in our mind this morning of the stonemason picking up stones and building a building because it's a wonderful metaphor for the church. Now just a little bit of background to this letter because I think this is really, really helpful for us today. Uh, when we think about the church. And Peter was writing to a group of Christians who were scattered over what we know today as Turkey. They were pretty isolated, often on the edges of society, ostracized by both the Jews who opposed them and the Romans who just didn't seem to understand them. Their faith was being tested by all kinds of trials and they were beginning to learn that they didn't really belong to this world. And as Christians today living in the 21st century, we can often feel the same. Marginalised and on the edge of our communities. Um, we watch, you now what's it called, the drum occasionally, and there was a session on a couple of weeks ago where the panel, all with one voice, said, we do not want Christians influencing our society. We are a secular society they should leave us be a secular society. Do you feel that in your workplace? That's what's going on out there. No different to Peter's group. That's why I think this imagery is just so great for us. So we get ostracised by the in-crowd at school, at university, at work, and often must mis misunderstood by our non-Christian family and friends. And Peter wrote this letter to encourage the first century Christians to stand firm in the true grace of God. And I believe we need the same encouragement in our own generation right now. To stand firm, there certainly needs to be a personal decision. But here in this passage, however, Peter introduces the important aspect of our life together as God's people. Indeed, as many of us have discovered, we're not meant to stand firm in the grace of God independently and alone. We need each other. And the passage we just read together tells us there are two things. I want to point this out before we go too far because if this is all you go home with, then you've got it. 
points out that there are two things that are precious to God. His son, the living stone, and the church, the living stones being built into a spiritual house. The son and the church. The world treated Jesus very poorly. It crucified him. It still treats him poorly. And the church comes in for its fair share of stick from the world today, understandably, at many points. But whatever, Jesus and the church are precious to God. Ponder that for a moment. We are precious to God. Sometimes we can look pretty messy. Let's not just talk about us, but think about the worldwide church. It can look pretty messy. Perhaps I'd better speak for, for, for myself here, but there are plenty of messed up people in the church. And it receives messages from the world that are designed to tear it down, but it is precious to God. It's an incredible thing. We are precious to God. I remember when my sons-in-law asked if they could marry my daughters. I think they were about a year apart. And I said something like this to them. One over the phone, because he was ringing from Adelaide, but one face to face. I've spent a lot of time with these girls and they're really precious to me. I love them and I value them. Please treat them well and respect them and care for them. And if you don't, I will come around and kill you. That is not a lie, ask Sharon as she sat there on both occasions. One, the, the son-in-law over here was jumpy for a long while. I'd walk up behind him quietly and put my hand on his shoulder and he'd be... They are two wonderful and they're now precious sons-in-law in our family. We're precious. Jesus is described as the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. He's the living stone. It kind of sounds wrong, doesn't it? Stones are inert. They're lifeless. I'm not aware of them having any organic properties. We have an expression, stone dead, meaning absolutely lifeless. And we remember that Goliath was made stone dead by the shepherd boy when he slung off at him. So it is a bit of a paradox, it seems, to call a stone living. But that is who Jesus is, a living stone, stable and steadfast, nevertheless alive. It was Paul who said, our Lord has been raised from the dead, and who dies no more. And he described him as the life-giving spirit. So not only is he life, but he gives life. The stone is full of life and has all the power of life. He is the risen Jesus. Jesus is also described in this passage as a chosen and precious cornerstone. Peter, who wrote this letter, would have walked around the temple precincts many, many occasions in Jerusalem there. He would have seen the big cornerstone sitting there. And in our ancient building practices, the cornerstone was the principal stone placed at the base and corner of any building. It was the largest, heaviest and most carefully positioned stone in the entire structure. 
it simultaneously established the foundation and determined the course and the design of the whole building. Without it, the building was completely unstable and liable to collapse. And Jesus is the cornerstone of God's house. He establishes the foundation and designs the whole building. Without him, people have no foundation and no direction in life. He provides both the stability and rationale for God's building. And without him, the building will fall. And Jesus is also described as the stone the builders rejected, a term coming out of Psalm 118. I'm sure you've all seen photographs of the magnificent statue of David by Michelangelo. It's, it's amazing, really, when you look at the craftsmanship in it. Do you know that the huge piece of marble from which Michelangelo sculpted David had been rejected year, years earlier by a couple of other artists because it was flawed? And the great Michelangelo looked at that rejected piece of marble, saw a David in it, and he skillfully proceeded to release him. Jesus, rejected by men, ignored, despised, crucified, has become the cornerstone of God's temple, the living stone, Jesus, precious to God. So now we see how our relationship is with the living stone. As you, plural, this, this passage is all about plurality, as is much of the New Testament, but particularly important here. As you, plural, come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you, plural, also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. As we come to Jesus, or it's better, as we keep on coming to Jesus, what we're doing this morning, he is building us into a spiritual house. The corporate dimension here is absolutely deliberate by Peter because he's got these scattered groups of Christians. We're all like living stones. We too, who were once dead, but have now been made alive in Jesus and are being built together. It's being done to us into a spiritual house where God dwells by his spirit. This is where I want you to keep this picture of the stonemason going and picking up this stone that's in the pile there. It's come to him and he's placing it to build this beautiful temple. The temple in Jerusalem was hugely significant for the people of Israel under the old covenant. It was an enormously impressive building constructed with mag magnificent stones, built on a hill so that everyone could see it. And the important thing about this temple is that's where God chose to live with his people. The temple identified them as God's people and established their corporate life and their purpose in the world. And here in this passage, Peter reminds those marginalized Christians and us today that our collective identity and purpose in the world are centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the living cornerstone of God's house. We believers are the living stones made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ and through him built up 
into a spiritual house. No longer do we need a temple of stones now. We are the living temple. United in Christ. I should get you to stand up again and look around. We're the representative here at Bentley Baptist and there's a church around the corner and around there until we have this world church, worldwide church. We, we are the living temple of Jesus. Just when you're having coffee, just make note of who's around because you're part of them and they're part of you in this imagery. We are a sacred space where the Spirit of God dwells. <laughs> Not just individually, but corporately. I don't know sometimes whether we really get this and understand it. That's why I think worshipping it together is so important. We're gathering together in other places as Christians is important. We have an incredible identity as we're linked to the cornerstone. And this is an important corrective to our very me-centered individualistic culture. The world doesn't revolve around you. Sorry about that. It doesn't actually revolve around me. It actually doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the architect. He is the grand designer of this house and we are his building materials. We are individually called but acceptance of that call means we now belong to one another and have an important group identity, the sum of which, be, hear this carefully, the sum of which is more significant than each individual part. Go to the kids club coming up, one person doing it, it's going to fall over. Put a whole lot of individuals in it, put the sum together and something great will happen. That's the church. I heard a brief but interesting interview with James Kelly and I think it's probably about four years ago. James Kelly was a three times Geelong Premiership player and I'm pretty sure the interview was uh, after he was delisted from Geelong and went and played his last couple of seasons with Essendon. Been a great footballer, been in, in the All-Australian team a couple of times, I know that. Just a great player with Geelong through that era, um, just back about um, well, five or six years ago. This is what he said as part of his, I can't remember the question, but here's the answer. I want to thank all the players that I've played with. This is it. It's hard to individualise, but everyone I've played with has made me the player that I am and made me a better player than I could have been on my own. We've just been, Sharon and I, last weekend at the 50th celebrations of Les Murdy Baptist Church where I pastored for 11 years and that's our current home church. And it was interesting seeing the people from, there were plenty of people who were there when the church started 50 years ago up to those who are in the present time and we've seen it at different stages in between. And as we shared some of the things that God had done, we all began to realise we've achieved a lot more by being together rather than being individuals. But the other thing I noticed as I reflected on my life, I'd changed a lot in that time because I was part of this group of people and fitted into them as a living stone by Jesus. 
So I was able to do way more and become way more because I was part of that. This is how Paul puts it when he writes to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm reading from the message. Through him, that is Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? So we've all got equal access to the Father. You're no longer wandering exiles. The letter he's writing to, they're all out there scattered. You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all. Irrespective of how we got here. He's using us all in what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. We saw it 50 years spanned last weekend. Amazing. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it a temple in which God is quite at home. I love that last little phrase. Do you realize God's quite at home amongst us? Because he's the one who's pulling us together and drawing us together and building us into a temple. He's quite at home amongst us. We really hammer the church, don't we? We as Christians can give it merry we can be its hardest critics, and yes, it needs criticising, but let's not do it until we've understood this and know that God loves to dwell amongst us because we are precious to him together. The New Testament knows nothing of freelance Christians. I can do it on my own. Or of solo-flying believers on their way to heaven. We are the church, the new temple of God. Church is neither a building, it's not this building, nor a place we attend on Sunday mornings. We are the church gathered on Sunday and at other times during the week. Better than any Facebook page and all those stuff you get on social media. And then we're dispersed into the marketplace during the week. There's several of you are part of small groups here during the week. It's a great place to meet be encouraged again. Be reminded that we're special so that we're strengthened to be the church dispersed during the week. I wonder how many of you said this morning, I'm off to church this morning. We often talk about going to church, don't we? Can I just let you try and rethink that? We don't go to church like we go to the shopping mall or to the sports game, or to the dentist. We don't go to church. We are the church. Big difference. We don't go to church. We are. Maybe you need to get up Sunday morning and say, we're off to worship. We're off to fellowship. Because we are the church. Once we've understood this, it will change the way we think about our brothers and sisters 
who are the church with us. Um, Mount Gambia Baptist Church, which is the church I pastored before I returned here in retirement five years ago. We were there ten years. It was a church that had been fragmented and had lots of differing groups in it and it wasn't in too good a state. We hadn't been there very long before, um, over a period of five or six years, way too many people under the age of 50 struggled with cancer. We had many die. We had too many sudden deaths. We had so much loss in the church. I proclaimed to them what I'm proclaiming now, best thing that happened to that church. Because see, we came in as individuals. We came in looking after our own little piece of turf, but everyone in that church found they had someone who was close to them who died or was struggling with cancer or struggling with someone else. You know what it did? Took them off me at the centre and put them onto you. And all of a sudden, everybody had ministry to do. It was impossible for a group of elders to do. It was just flat-out work. It turned that church from being me-centred to being other-centred, and they began to realise that we were the church. When we first got there, 85 90% of the people were gone in the first five minutes. So as soon as the service was over, 90% of people were gone. The six or seven year mark, 90% of people were still there half an hour later and three quarters still there an hour later. What were they doing? They were being the church. Instead of going to church, they were being the church by necessity. It's a wonderful, it's a one, I'll brag about them anytime you like. Okay, we have this corporate identity, but we also have a purpose as this living stones spiritual house. And this is very quickly because over the next few weeks I'm going to look at what it means to be a missional church and us to be missionaries. But our purpose is that we become a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are a chosen people, it says in that passage, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful life. We do it together. And we're to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see our good deeds and glorify God. What does all this mean for us? It simply means that how we live in this world matters. We're still the church when we're scattered and it matters how we live. That the world may glorify God because they see good in us. We may feel isolated, we may feel ostracized and at other times very weak but we have an important role to play in God's world. Our whole lives are to be offered up to him. Here's how Paul said it to the church at Rome. He spent right up the first 11 chapters talking about uh, sinfulness and the offering of Christ and how he brings us to himself, all that wonderful theology of the cross and so on. And then in chapter 12, he starts to talk about how it works out in our daily living. But these two verses link the first 11 chapters with the next three. This is what it says here, out of the message again. Here's what, I love this. Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your ordinary, everyday life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're everyday walking around life. Take that and place it before God as an offering. Sounds just like Peter, doesn't it? 
spiritual sacrifice. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that he want, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's because we're the living stone's precious church and he likes to dwell in us. That's why he brings the best out in us. He's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is the message of the gospel and he wants us to proclaim it to the world with our lips when we meet together and sing his praise. And oh, that we could write a lot more songs that had we in them instead of I. I know we make a personal thing, you know. I pant for the... And that's how the psalmist wrote it, but we do too together. I think it would help us understand the we nature of... If, if you stand in front of me, you'll probably hear me often singing we's instead of I, I and me and mine because I belong to you guys and I love it and you belong to me and I love that we we are the church and so we offer spiritual sacrifices in the world in which we go into as we leave here we are God's chosen means of proclaiming his glory in the world. We have a message that can ransom sinners from futile ways and purify their souls. A message that can stop them stumbling and ensure that they will never be put to shame. A message that can rescue them from darkness and bring them into God's marvellous light. We are God's chosen people, precious to him, and we have this purpose in the world. Do you know what? There are people in our families, you know that, in our communities and in our workspaces and in the places where we play who have no idea that Jesus is the living stone who can give them living hope and build them into a spiritual house. They have no idea that Jesus is the cornerstone who can give them a secure foundation, a true identity and a great purpose in this world. We must tell them by our words and by our deeds. This is what we've been given to do as God's chosen and precious people in the world. Now our leaders in the world, our psychologists, our social constructors in the world and so on say that people in our society want a person to trust. What? One of the things I'd want to posit to you to think about is why politics has gone so awry in the world at the moment is that people are trying to find someone they can trust. And so they're going to all sorts of extreme ends in this world. They want a place to belong. One of the very big things that's occurring in society now that loneliness is turning up as one of the highest issues we have to deal with 
as a society. And they want a purpose to live for. This is just coming out of societal stuff if you read it. Well, we have a person to trust, the living stone. And Jesus will not disappoint us. We have a place to belong, the Living Stones Church, a spiritual house. And Peter said, we will not be put to shame. The world tries its hardest, but from God's perspective, we will not be put to shame. Because he loves to dwell amongst us. We have a purpose to live for, to make Jesus famous. Two things precious, Jesus, the living stone, and the church, the living stone's spiritual house. Reflect on it and reflect on it and reflect on it and reflect on it to get out of being an individual and understand the beauty of being part of the body of Christ. I don't know anything else in my life. I have been part of the body of Christ since the first day I was born. And I am so grateful for that. So, so, it's a wonderful testimony to bring to you. So, so grateful that God's had his eye on me and kept me in this space. I love the church because God loves the church. Let's pray. If you know you're a living stone this morning, just rejoice. Just rejoice that you've heard the voice of Jesus call you out of darkness. And he's given you the wonderful light of his salvation and his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy and his compassion, his love. Just revel in it. You've been given life, resurrection life. But two, let's celebrate this morning that we are the church. When you look into the eyes of someone while you hang around and have a coffee or a drink and a chat, look at each other and say, we are the church. And God loves to dwell amongst us because we're precious to him. Let's not wait till we're 75 years old or 100 years old as a church and celebrate. Let's celebrate week to week that we're precious to the living stone who is precious to God. Oh, thank you, Father, for the identity we have as a living stone spiritual house. Thank you for the purpose that we have. Grant us grace by your Spirit to live out that purpose day by day to the glory of God. 
Amen.